Welcome to Advisor's Edge, a new podcast for financial intermediaries designed to keep you abreast of what's new and what's next in modern wealth management. In each episode, top experts in the field will share the latest intelligence on market trends, asset allocation, due diligence insights, and more. It's part of our Smart series, highlighting new thinking from Siegel Marco Advisors research and trends, helping you make more informed decisions. This podcast provides information from reliable sources, but no guarantee is given for its accuracy. It is for general education purposes only and not intended as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. It does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities or investment products. Consult your own advisors before making any decisions. Siegel and Siegel Marco Advisors are not responsible for any actions taken based on this podcast. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hello, everyone. This is David Pampelorder from the Advisor Solutions Group. I'm joined by my colleague, Peter Sullivan, and we're here for the second episode of the Advisor's Edge podcast. We're here to share our perspective and our experience on all that we do within the financial intermediary channel. And hopefully you'll find today's episode on building investment platforms interesting. So before we really jump into some of the details, uh, I think we need to create a baseline of what a platform is. There's uh, quite, a, quite a bit of a difference of opinion of what that actually means. From our perspective, it's simply all of the investment options that a firm is offering to their advisors and, and by extension, their clients. So it's a recommended list, it's an advisory list, a, a list of your best ideas. Now, where Peter and I will, will jump into some of the details here is that it's going to be quite different from firm to firm. Uh, sometimes these lists are very long, sometimes they're very short uh, and very focused. It really depends on the needs of the firm. So there's not a standard platform or a standard list of recommended strategies, it really is going to be determined completely, at least from our perspective, by what the firm needs that we're working with. And I think that's that's probably a good place to jump off. And I'll turn it over to Peter. Uh, Peter, in, with some of the different clients that we work with, what are you encountering when you have these initial conversations about building a platform or having us review their existing platform? Well, you know, usually what we encounter is is a wide range of platforms and with widely different approaches, you know, comprised of different managers, different funds, different vehicles, different asset classes. Um, and each one in our experience is unique, right? Because every every organization, every enterprise, every business that we're talking about here that in that needs an investment platform is different. And it's you know, those differences are based on kind of the, the philosophy, the approach uh, of each organization, each business, how, how they're, how they're staffed, how they came together. Um, you know, the investment platforms in a lot of ways represent, you know, a unique mix of, of people uh, and professionals with different backgrounds so that they are widely different. Um, I think Dave typically, you know, we start with defining a manager platform, an investment platform as, as really, again, a group of managers, a group of mutual funds, separate account managers, different vehicles. Um, ultimately, 
um, curated in some process, um, but with one specific goal, which is to implement whatever the broad investment policy is of the firm. Now, ideally, it's it's really the asset allocation policy, that asset allocation model, that approach to uh, investing among different asset classes in this investment platform is that curated list, a series of tools in one big toolbox uh, that really is intended to implement that, that specific asset allocation policy. Um, the other thing I would say about the investment platform is, and again, why it's so different is, is it also represents you know, really the firm's business, the enterprise, you know, the, the, the effort, essentially what it represents is that sense of uh, governance, you know, how decisions are, are made um, from the bottom up. It's, it's hiring and firing decisions, you know, for individual funds and managers um, from the top down, it's, it's governance, you know, how does an organization meet the requirements for, um, you know, around fiduciary responsibility, having a standard of care uh, in the uh, investments uh, that it recommends to its clients and how uh, it does a firm make decisions broadly um, in, in meeting those, those, that standard of care of the, of, that's associated with that fiduciary responsibility. Um, from the, you know, the bottom up, it's that hiring and firing decision, but from the top down perspective, it is, you know, how do, how do we uh, effectively implement these asset allocation um, of individual clients and, and do so efficiently and effectively? Thanks, Peter. And I think what might be useful for listeners is to really give somewhat of an example of, of what we typically encounter. Uh, so certainly what we might what we might have someone come in the door with is a question of what is the ideal platform? And you know, at this point, obviously, they will have given us access access to the to the strategies that they're using. I would say, generally speaking, we're looking at at firms that are probably using somewhere between thirty and fifty strategies. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more, but that's mm -hmm. probably a good a good kind of me me medium point. And then I think a lot of times, some, sometimes managers that might not have the due diligence resources that a firm like Siegel Marco has might think that, you know, we have kind of this uh, this magic black box where, you know, we turn a key and and their platform, you know, becomes becomes magically transformed with, uh, you know, ready made solutions. And I think, well, in those cases, what we try to impart is that it really comes down to, first of all, analyzing what the platform that has already been built looks like and and i think even more importantly why does it look that way uh was it built that way on purpose or is it is it just the amalgamation of lots of little decisions over the course of years whether it's new clients coming in the door and other clients perhaps leaving and then it's it's a bit of a mismatch of different strategies so i think that's a starting point to understand here's your platform and we can look at it but let's talk a little bit beyond that. Why does it mm -hmm. look this way? Was it built this way purposefully? Um, a good example might be, we've had clients that have come to us and we've looked at their platform and it doesn't have any commodities, no, no energy exposure. Mm -hmm. And in talking to them, we, we learned that that it was actually done on purpose because most of their clients 
have very large holdings and have accumulated their wealth in those industries. And so they did not want to essentially double dip uh, in those in those investment asset classes, which from our perspective certainly made sense. But again, it's a, it's a question to ask because there are always going to be sensitivities around where people invest and every firm really is different. So there's not a, uh, there's not always a turnkey solution. Mm -hmm. It really, you wanna start uh, where you should start, which is at the beginning in understanding why the platform looks that way. And that that bleeds over into the firm itself. As Peter mentioned, what's the philosophy and the governance of the firm? Maybe they go about building their portfolios and implement implementing them in a way that certainly needs to be considered. It might be different than all the other clients that we've dealt with over the years. So it's really important to start uh, kind of at ground zero and understand uh, the underpinnings of the firm before you get into, you know, kind of the second and third steps, which, um, you know, Peter can talk to certainly, but looking at, you know, asset classes and vehicles and minimums and, and trying to understand, um, you know, the nuts and bolts and the levers that we can pull using our capabilities, but really trying to understand, um, was the platform built in a thoughtful way? Mm -hmm. Or yeah. is this just something that has evolved, you know, over the last decade or so? Yeah, Dave, I, and again, it's this idea of, of how did we get here? Uh, and let, let, let's be honest. I mean, if, if we are being asked to look at an investment platform um, or one of our clients, whether that's a, an existing one or a new one, um, that there's probably something wrong um, with the with the investment platform. It, it's it's probably um, missing something. Um, and you know that process of of looking at you know how do we get here, what's on the platform, um, you know, and what is your organization, your unique organization, what are those unique needs that the investment platform needs to to fill? You know, really comes from. You know, it, I would say, Dave, in our experience, right, it, it can be uh, we have too many managers on the platform. Uh, there's there's too many funds. There's too many vehicles. Um, uh, that means essentially, uh, you know, the research costs, the, the costs of doing the due diligence are probably exceeding maybe the capacity of the organization. Uh, maybe you have you know one or two investment professionals or even a team of five or six. Um, that are very talented and, and work very hard uh, and are really effective in, in doing what they do. Uh, but maybe there's not enough of them. The platform's gotten too big. Um, uh, there's other times when, you know, organizations reach out to us and they, they recognize that the platform doesn't have enough managers. Uh, maybe it's, uh, and this is a common one, uh, they're moving into a, an asset class that, um, you know, maybe they haven't trafficked uh, in the past. Uh, maybe they're maybe recognizing uh, that alternatives and illiquid alternatives, um, uh, which which maybe have been a you know asset classes that have been in a select few um, set of clients um, uh, need to be uh, implemented across a broader subsection uh, of the client base. Uh, and maybe they're recognizing that uh, they're um, a lack of managers given current market conditions and our expectations for the future, there's some holes. Um, 
and you know the final aspect of it can be uh, they're recognizing that there's some inherent biases to uh, their investment platform. Uh, and some of these biases um, may really represent some bets or some tilts that um, are inherent to a, an investment platform um, that are starting to show up in client performance um, in the form of, um, you know, excess tracking error, unrewarded tracking error. Um, and it could be as simple as, um, hey, the advisors, um, these group of advisors that, um, uh, you know, our organization is built in, built in are complaining because they're, they're finding it challenging to talk about uh, managers, um, uh, given some uh, indications of some, of some challenging performance. And they're finding it difficult to have those conversations with clients and implement, um, implement the portfolios using the existing managers. So uh, there's lots of different factors. And, you know, for each one of those times, we, we can actually, you know, you and I probably can talk about walking and taking a look at a platform and just recognizing right away, you know, there's some holes or there's too many managers, uh, a group of managers are not being used um, and or they are all acting in the same way and they're either outperforming all at the same time or underperforming at the same time. And that's indicating that there's a there's a problem with uh, diversification and there's are some biases that are that are really there and uh, sometimes it's it's the the third party the independent third party that doesn't have any skin in the game uh, that can highlight this right and peter those are some excellent points uh, there's a couple of things that you said that i want to amplify one of them was you mentioned when we talk to a a prospective client and they have uh, too many investments, too many, too many uh, strategies on their platform. And we see this a lot. And anyone who is an advisor certainly recognizes this, where a lot of times you'll have a new client that comes on board with a large portfolio and they have a number of strategies that your firm is not currently using. And uh, you're certainly in many cases going to say, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll cover them. We'll start reporting on them because you certainly don't want to turn the client away. And, you know, you do that a number of times and all of a sudden your platform is now significantly larger in number mm -hmm. than it was maybe by intention. So now you've got these strategies that have grown and maybe only one or two clients are using them, but it's still... Uh, I think the the blind spot for a lot of firms is when we've pointed this out sometimes, certainly not all times, but mm -hmm. uh, what will happen is they'll say, well, that's fine because, you know, we know we have 60 strategies, but in reality, you know, 80% of our client assets are in these 15 or these 20 yes. strategies. So we don't yeah. really, it's okay. It's okay that we've got these other ones kind of in a in in a holding tank, so to speak. And I think the important thing to point out is that, there's still risk for having those on the platform because if the client's holding them, even if it's one client, the, the firm needs to recognize that they have mm -hmm. responsibility for covering that for that strategy. And if it's in a client portfolio for having uh, a due diligence file on that strategy. And so to focus just on those 15 or 20 where most of the assets are and you know not pay as much attention to the other you know, 40 names that don't have right. as much assets, that is a risk. It really is in, incumbent upon firms to shrink that list down to the point where it's it's all the strategies being used and they're all being treated the same way for monitoring, 
and ongoing due diligence. And that is an area that sometimes a light bulb goes off when we talk to clients about this because it is important and you want to make sure that, you know, they have uh, a good reason for having a, a strategy in a portfolio and mm -hmm. not that, oh, that's just a one-off yes. one that a client has. Yeah. The, the other point, just to shift gears, the other point that you made that I thought was important was about education. You know, if there's a if the firm and an advisor set comes to us and wants to offer a strategy or a type of strategy that they aren't as familiar with. And that happens, as you know, all the time. And, and it mm -hmm. certainly has been more focused on alternative investments in the last probably three to five years than really anything else. And I think it's an important point because not only does it keep happening and it will continue to, to, to keep happening, but the solution for that is it's not good enough to simply give a set of fully vetted strategies in, let's say, let's say private equity as one example. If a, if a firm comes to us and says, you know, we really need to get into private equity because we have clients asking about it. We know that we're perhaps at a competitive disadvantage if we're not offering it. So we need to check that box and we don't have the we don't have the expertise in-house to do it. So we need your help. A big piece of that on the front end that isn't really thought about is education, because mm -hmm. at the end yeah. of the day, an advisor will never go to a client and make a recommendation in our experience without feeling comfortable about that strategy. They need to be. Uh, positioned as an expert about any strategy they're talking to their client about. And if they if they don't feel comfortable, they will not talk to the client about it. So it becomes yes. it becomes incumbent on the firm and on their their research partner. Uh, in this case, if we're talking about us, it would be Siegel Marco to provide the firm, the, the advisors with enough information and comfort so that they uh, can really kind of go to the next level. So that is something that Perhaps you're not dealing with on the traditional side, but in alternatives, it really is a, a glaring example uh, of why it's different and what needs to be done. It, it, it really is. And, and, and Dave, there's actually a lot to unpack there. And, and I think we can unpack the design. You know, we can unpack a lot of things about, you know, an investment uh, platform design. Um, but in private equity, you know, generally what happens in our experiences for those, for those firms that really have focused on the traditional asset classes, the more illiquid asset classes, they get into private equity by securing new clients, right? Uh, and their success uh, introduces the asset class um, uh, into the firm sphere, right? Uh, you know, those illiquid asset classes, you can't sell them. Uh, you have to, you essentially inherit and accept them. Um, and you know, with private equity, what it tends to do is create the uh, an, another uh, another tail within the organization. So it's it's a tail of funds, um, you know, exposures to different managers um, uh, and different you know management styles that um, are not used by the rest of the firm. Uh, and these tails, you know, have meaningful impact on uh, those clients that. Um, you've just won and, and worked hard to secure, um, but they also have you know, a major impact on the portfolio managers and the relationship managers um, who uh, all of a sudden, you know, are outside their comfort zone. Um, they're they have to explain the performance and impact of of these funds that are in the tails. Um, 
without the the normal uh, without the normal processes and support that they get from whoever's providing the research and whoever's providing the the investment uh, management support within that organization. And it has this knockdown effect on all sorts of workflows and processes and engagements within within the organization. Um, You brought up um, this idea of actual concentration where you look at an investment platform, it might have 60 names on it. And you realize that the you know, when you look through to the client's actual holdings and how the advisors and portfolio managers are employing the manager platform, what you do see when you actually look at the assets and the, and the real client exposure is you will see a significant amount of concentration uh, in very few managers. Um, that, that happens a lot. Um, and that is also one of the reasons why, you know, we, we tend to get pulled in, uh, pulled into these conversations as maybe an independent third party, which is to say, you know, at a certain point, if you have a significant portion of your firm's AUM concentrated in two or three strategies, three or four strategies, it's usually in domestic equity and quite often it's in large cap core, believe it or not, um, where you're, you have this concentrated exposure to an approach, a philosophy, and a firm and a team um, that underlines that fund or that strategy. Um, what happens here is is that you have client risk um, that is associated with that manager, which means you're actually sharing the business risk of of the manager. Uh, you have an uncompensated risk to your organization and your business. Why? Because you know, managers do go in and out of favor. Um, we do expect a manager to have a disciplined approach. Um, and when that disciplined approach is out of favor and it represents a bias that's unrewarded within a broad set of clients and a high percentage of your firm, um, the client's investment risk starts changing and morphing into your enterprise business risk. It's and it, it morphs into client risk because clients tend to get rid of their advisors and they tend to move on when specific managers underperform. Um, and if you concentrate that that risk um, of you know manager exposure, um, you are creating volatility in things that matter like revenue, client retention, um, bonuses, and comp. And uh, it, it gets uh, it gets pretty pretty squirrely, and it becomes a real risk that really a well constructed investment platform shouldn't introduce into any business or any organization. Now, those are those are excellent points, and ones that uh, again, when we talk to either new clients or prospective clients, it's ones that you know it's those ideas that that are tend to be eye openers that you know certainly. Many people in the industry recognize, but but certainly not a hundred percent. So it's uh, it's always helpful to kind of get off on the right foot to to let them know, you know, it's not just a risk of a manager underperforming. There's, you know, there's there's obviously the opportunity to have a, a kind of a cascading impact, you know, on the practice. So, you know, in the in the the time that we have left, um, I do want to touch on a, a few things, maybe to kind of take a step back. We've kind of gotten into some more detail, but but I think when we think about building a platform, I think for anyone listening, you know, I think a big consideration is when we when we have these initial discussions are 
What are the asset classes that you have exposure to? Mm -hmm. And are there, as, as you mentioned, Peter, are there ones that you think there's a gap where there's yeah. a need, there's a need that isn't filled that needs to be filled? Um, and then a big discussion within obviously all private wealth are the vehicles themselves. You know, we have some firms that we come across that love uh, separate accounts, many mm -hmm. that love mutual funds and quite a few others that like a combination of the two. So understanding the vehicles, and that goes to the bigger point that I mentioned, I think at the beginning uh, of our discussion, which is what's the nature of your firm? Uh, there's certainly not a one size fits all within this business. So there yes. are lots of firms that have thousands of clients that are, are more modest in size, where mutual funds rule the day just based on necessity and the size of the accounts, mm -hmm. while there are a lot of others that are in the ultra high net worth space that have many fewer clients, but the relationships themselves are very significant and they deal almost exclusively in separate accounts. And so it's really right. understanding that at the onset so that we know essentially what our marching orders are, what, what needs to be built, what needs to be evaluated uh, so that we can figure out from our perspective, there might be gaps that the firm that is coming to us doesn't see. There's may, maybe a few that they've pointed out, but mm -hmm. there's maybe others that we see that we can bring to their attention. Yeah, and that's helpful. And I think that uh, you know that's a big part of kind of the initial conversation or two to try to get some some understanding and buy-in from the client. And I think another one is figuring out what the final recommended platform is going to look like. And I, the reason I bring that up is that in some cases, a client will come to us and say, we've got these 30 names. Uh, we really haven't done, we've done our own internal due diligence, but we want you all to come back to us with your opinion. And sometimes they want the final platform to be a combination of, you know, the names on their existing list that we like as an organization. Uh, along with some other ideas that we think would be complementary. Uh, but then in other cases, it might just be just evaluate the names that you see and tell us who you like right. and who you don't like. And again, we, ch we ch tend to take a very flexible approach, which is you, the client is going to dictate what they need and we can give our advice, but certainly it's always up to the client um, the best way to handle it and what their final platform looks like has to satisfy right. both them and yeah. obviously be serviceable and appropriate for their clients. Dave, it has to be practical, right? I, any advice, you know, our clients give to their clients has to be implemented and it has to be implemented in a, an effective way. Right. Um, and when we're consulting and, and, you know, making observations and making recommendations, they, they have to be, practical and they have to be implemented. Um, and in the intermediary world and in the ASG work that we do, um, changing managers, turning over managers have real costs to the clients, right? Um, uh, and having a plan from going from, you know, where the manager platform is today, right? Which is employed by all the clients of different, different size and different types, different risk tolerances and different circumstances. How are you going from that platform that we have today to the one that you want to go to uh, in the future? Right. And it, it has to be practical in the fact that it has to wear, be aware that there are transaction costs from manager turnover uh, and changes to the manager platform. Uh, and that 
turnover and those change will take time. It may take one to two or three years to get even close to uh, the new uh, investment manager platform. Um, it means that um, to make that transition and make it practical and actually effective, um, uh, that it means that you really do have to incorporate what the current holdings are, you know, what the current strategies are, you know, uh, being employed by the majority of clients, um, and um, introducing managers that you know effectively need to be paired with those existing holdings. Right. So it, it's it is a process that needs to consider the time it takes to implement it. Um, it needs to reflect the transaction costs. It needs to reflect the realities here is that you have to accept the existing holdings. Um, and it also requires us to kind of step away from this idea of picking managers and moving towards constructing portfolios. Right. Uh, and what does that mean effectively is it's a change in mind mindset. You have to look at whatever new manager or um, that is going to fit a need or fill a hole. Um, it needs to you need to consider selecting that manager based on how it is going to be paired with an existing manager on that platform. One that you can't get rid of, even if you want to. Um, over the next two to three years, right? So it involves thinking about pairings, pairing a value manager with a growth manager, a taxable manager with a muni manager. Um, it means combining managers that uh, take different approaches to whatever asset class. You know, usually it's a function of of uh, quality or aggressiveness um, or certain biases in that approach. But you have to move towards away from this idea of selecting individual managers for a platform uh, in a vacuum and holistically um, holistically consider how they work in combination. Uh, and yep. that's that can only be done by that by that look through uh, by focusing on what your client base looks like in, in aggregate. And the last point I'll kind of make here is um, you also have to kind of consider, different constituencies within the organization, right? So it's very easy to say for a billion dollar manager, right? Um, with 200 clients, whatever that average client size, you should use that, you know, average client size to dictate what vehicles and funds, the mix of separate accounts versus mutual funds and uh, the mix of uh, asset allocation is, it's very easy to do based on that by that AUM divided by the number of clients that you have. But in reality, when we look through the clients and, and you know, at the advisor level, uh, the team level and an individual client level, it, it's not an, a very simple average there. You know, you, we don't see a peak around that, you know, average $5 million uh, client size. What we usually see are a grouping, right? A center, you know, a two centers of gravity uh, within an organization. You'll have a group of, of smaller clients, which have their own unique needs, their own unique requirements, and really should have their own investment platform. And then, you know, maybe on the bigger client side, maybe more sophisticated and even more demanding, you have another set of, of managers and, and another investment platform uh, that probably should be designed for their specific needs. And so it's, it's, you know, that's where the customization goes. That's where the look through is. And that's where the conversation goes. And then that education goes 
you know, really focuses on really what does your business look like? What type of constituencies do you have to satisfy? And what final set of managers and funds on the investment platform will do the best to meet meet the needs of both types of clients or both constituency. Yeah, Peter, those are great points. And, and I think it's critically important to, to talk about one, just uh, I'll throw my two cents in. We're talking about obviously building a platform and evaluating an existing platform and, you know, arriving hopefully at a, at a, at a final list of recommended strategies. And mm -hmm. I think what you point out is something that again gets overlooked, which is coming back with a list of strategies that, that we think makes sense, but ultimately having that conversation with the client to say, let's just use one example. Say, say there's a manager that we love that is uh, benchmark agnostic and shows a lot of volatility, but when paired with other managers that we like, we feel you know might be a, a good fit over the long term for some clients. Is making sure the advisor understands that you know do they mm -hmm. do they and their clients have an understanding of this type of investment behavior that they need to be patient over a certain length of market cycle, and that is not going to be the case for all advisors and all clients and all firms. Mm -hmm. And it's important to have those conversations up front because a big part of what we do is setting and managing expectations because if the, the hire a manager that we think uh, makes a lot of sense and it behaves in the way that we would expect over time, but it's going to cause some strife and some anxiety for some yes. clients and concern, at the end of the day, that's not the right manager for that firm and that client. We need to, we need to find another solution that is more in line with their expectations and temperament. And that's something again that gets, I think, overlooked uh, quite a bit. So, but that's an that's an important point. So we're we're kind of running running out of time here. Uh, we want to try to keep it about thirty minutes. The one thing that I'll mention, and again, we've just scratched the surface on this topic. Uh, is once you've got the platform built, um, what are the ongoing needs for monitoring of the names of reporting um, and maintaining the platform? And again, that could be a whole other conversation that yeah. Peter and I could have, but I think it's an important thing to end on just that once the platform is built, that's not the end, that's the beginning uh, for once it's implemented and every firm is gonna have different requirements different needs on all of those points what monitoring means to them versus uh our firm you know do they need us to have a conversation with them every month or every quarter or once a year it's very again it's going to vary uh but getting getting that those uh, decisions uh out in the open at the beginning is critically important uh because we we again want to set and manage expectations properly uh, so that everyone is on the same page. So uh, again, I think this is just scratching the surface. We appreciate your time. Uh, we'll certainly be back with uh, this topic and many others as we move forward, but uh, thanks for listening. And we really appreciate your time. Have a great day. Thank you.
Yeah, thanks, Peter. As I said, this is our 